I get to tell my uh, my Yuri Geller story. You do. You do get it to. Yeah. Uh, I think I've heard bits and pieces of it in conversation, but today we actually tell the whole world your Yuri Geller story. So I wrote an article about Yuri Geller um, back when he bent press coverage towards himself. Uh, it was the <laughs> Suez Canal story that he kind of wedged himself <laughs> into. And I don't I, look. I don't think the piece was particularly complimentary, but it definitely like highlighted that he has a knack for getting into the press. And he managed to get my number, and he called me the, that night, and we spoke for like an hour. Um, and it was kind of this weird thing where he was like telling me his secrets to getting good press while also like doing the thing. So he was like telling me if anyone ever writes about you, you must call them and you must talk to them and ask them about their family. And it, it like, <laughs> and he, but then he was asking me about my family. It was kind of this weird, like psych thing. And and it's, it's clever. Cause I guess it kind of works, but um, cause we just did this asking about in this month. And like in my head, I was like, Oh, this is weird. Like Yuri Geller WhatsApps me stuff every month, like normally links about himself. But I was like, it is, <laughs> it, it, it is like, it, I can feel it swaying. Like, I don't think it impacted the story that we wrote about him this month. But in the back of my head, that was there. And I was like, oh, he probably could text me or call me if he didn't like the story. Like, it it, it works. You know what I mean? Like, this, this thing yeah. works. But so he spent like 20 minutes asking about my, 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 my mom and my dad and where I grew up and either he was like taking notes to like read my mind in five years time or he really cares about my family but at the end of this one hour call he goes oh before i go um do you want me to tell you where to invest your money and i was like holy yes. shit this is yes. uh yes this is yuri geller this is like the guy who governments paid to help him them find oil he you know he can do all these he claims to do all these like miraculous things like maybe he's gonna say some like this like random ass stock or say some like he knows about like a weather thing that's coming in the future so this is the thing you have to invest in i was like i was like yeah 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 sure tell me tell me where i should invest in my money and he goes uh he goes uh property Brick and mortar always goes up. <laughs> <laughs> My mum could have said that, Yuri. Like, come on. I thought you were like a world-renowned mentalist. It, that's like, just like rich dad, poor dad, Google wait, that stuff. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is your mom also psychic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Oh my God. But it made me chuckle. And that story has got a lot of good uh, mileage. So you heard it here oh. first, guys. World-renowned mind reader. <laughs> predictor faith healer invest your money into real estate all right let's get on with the podcast i'm rory i am the editor of one ahead i'm nathan i'm one ahead's content producer on this month's show a magic mailing list that might be breaking the law why prop talk has closed its doors for the final time where you can find all the best secrets and magic hint it's in old magazines yuri Geller is back in the news and dustin dean is debunking everything and what we can learn from Meta, Netflix, and Murphy's Magic. Ooh, that's a good intro. I did good on that one. Our first story was subscriber submitted. Yes, it was. Uh, the article is titled uh, "The Magic Brand Breaking the Law?" Uh, question mark. Oh, it's no accusations. It's all alleged. Um, and we had to play investigative journalist again. Um, thanks for writing. Makes Sherlock joke in the 
in the, in the outline. <laughs> like, I guess if I'm her? Sherlock, you're Watson. Is that how it works? Are you Watson in this scenario? Yes, I'm. Like, yes, because you're the you know you're the front runner. You're you're you have an English accent. You're Benedict Cumberbatch, and I'm just you know chilling mm. on the sidelines. I like it. I feel like I've I've got good social skills though. Sherlock was a great you show. Do. And actually, you know what? I'll be Robert Downey Jr. Um, if you want to do that version, that's one hundred percent the case. All right, <laughs> let's get. Into you know what? This. That's a confidence boost for me. <laughs> Jude Law is a very handsome man, so I'll take that compliment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I owe someone an apology, and I can't name. I I I, I get so many like. Uh, industry names uh people who own magic companies reaching out and then at the bottom they'll be like by the way this is off the record anyone who reaches mm. out to me just always assume everything's off the record um I, I always ask if i can publish something that someone said and normally i'll just say can i publish it on background and if they say no uh then i don't do it um and the the absolute caveat is whenever i say uh, rumors say this normally i know that's the case but no one said it on the record so i can't publish it that, that like <laughs> this was said and anyway it's a whole hello i i've really learned how to do like journalistic integrity shit since i've been doing this um anyway so i had one person that everyone listening will know who they were being like i just received this cold email from this magic company and I think it's illegal. I think it's against GDPR and whatever. And I was like, I just like swapped them down and was like, no, I think it's fine. So long as they don't put you on a mailing list, like it's fine. Don't worry about it. But then <laughs> a, a magician who everyone would definitely know, who has like a background in like scams and legal stuff, sent it to like two, like three weeks later. And was like, look, this is happening. And the same thing, I was like, oh, we took a little bit more seriously. But I was like, I don't know. But he pointed out on the bottom of the email, it said that it was, there was like an unsubscribe button. Um, and then this mm. person told me all of these things that I didn't realize were against the law. Um, you know, I know because of GDPR and stuff in Europe, like signing someone to a mailing list without their permission is, is not okay. And they have to like opt in and double opt in and all that kind of stuff. But what I didn't realize is that actually in most countries, including America, it's illegal to use like software to scrape emails for the intent yes. of like emailing them. So you can it like is. you can cold outreach and go through Instagram and hit the email button for everyone, but you're not actually allowed to like hit go on a software and scrape a thousand magicians' emails and then email them straight away. Because I, I, I was thinking. Uh, when I was looking at the outline earlier, I was like, I was like, I did this for a while, and we've launched one ahead. I would contact people directly on Facebook and and message them, but like, I was doing it one at a time and finding them myself. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it 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 it, it, it caused a big hoo ha. People really liked this article, got a lot of hits. Um, but yeah, what do you think? I feel like I kind of introed it enough. Does that make sense? What they did? Yeah, no, it it does. Um, because what. So also what is fake names. It annoyed yes, me so much. Uh, like uh, Ashley Ash Summers is it, uh, it's such a fake name. It's like it's unbelievable. And the other one was really fake as well. Like uh, oh anyway. <laughs> uh yeah, Go ahead, no, Watson. I, <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's a lot of caveats to this story. So like definitely it, it is illegal um to scrape mailing to to scrape all that through software and then to send out mass emails um it is also frowned upon heavily uh by by subject to law 
to uh, put people on a subscriber list that they did not sign up for. So like those are indisputable facts. And the fact of the matter is this group doing it has been alleged of doing so. And, you know, it doesn't help their case when half their staff sounds like porn star names. It's not, <laughs> <laughs> it just I doesn't help their case. Alleged is a good word to use as well, because like I say in the article, like, I think even if they are doing stuff wrong, I'm sure that the person who runs this magic company just hired a marketing company and doesn't really pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. But what I would say um, is that the main takeaway for me is that, like, this don't do this. <laughs> like, the amount of people... <laughs> the main, the main out, takeaway, just don't break the, the law, kids. <laughs> well, it's not even about breaking the law. The amount of people who emailed me afterwards or sent me screenshots or WhatsApp me after the article went out and was like, yeah, this is really annoying. Like, I received this email, I read it, and I was like, oh, I'm never buying from this magic company. It's so, like, fake and forced. And look, yeah. maybe... I had a great call with some guys the other day about uh, like the age of magicians who are buying magic and stuff. And, you know, maybe mm. it works for like people who are a lot older because I think that a lot of magic is purchased by people who are like in their 70s and 80s. So maybe an email like that would work. But then they're getting people from Instagram. So they're not on Instagram. So I uh, know. Yeah. I did message the people because they were scraping people's followers because they were. They were yeah. pretty open about it. They were like, hey, we fa we see you like Eric Jones, or hey, we see you like Illusionist. And I spoke to some of the people who were being scraped, and they were like, well, nothing we can do about it. It's annoying, but I guess it's like, you know, flattery or whatever you want to call it, but it is a bit annoying. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely... I think when you... I think the younger generations, we've kind of grown up with the internet, so we're kind of used to these... Maybe not this specific tactic, but we're used to like marketing tactics. Like we've grown up around them versus like the older generations, you know, they mm. might believe Ashley Summers is trying to sell them a coin gimmick, which is, you know, bad. Don't do that. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it's just definitely Co one of those things where cold outreach works, though. Like it does in, but it's the it's the way it's being done, though. Right. It's cold outreach is different when it's not being automated and it's a fake name and it's most likely a computer program. They hit enter in and it just went, you know what I mean? There's a lack of humanity. Like, mm. like I follow Eric Jones. I do not do any coin magic. So if someone was like, Hey, do you, I see you follow Eric Jones. Here's all this coin magic stuff. I'd be like, oh, okay. Like it, to, I don't know. There's just like an aspect yeah. of like, knowing your audience and knowing who you're actually going for. And then just like, Hey, you follow this one magic company. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I know loads of success stories from code outreach, but it is all about effort, effort, I think, or timing, basically you got to time it right. Mm -hmm. Or it's, it's about showing your effort. Uh, and sometimes effort isn't necessarily about like, you know, just bad example, but like buying someone a, a thousand roses, it's effort as in like putting in the effort to work out, that it's the right fit or that they they want the thing that you're selling as a magician mm -hmm. or, or that the the channel wants to work with you or whatever you know sometimes when i'm working on a tv show the production company will be sent lots of stuff like oh, i went on one show in the uk and the production company got sent like dvds from magicians one of them sent this card where you open it, it had a like a little screen inside the card that played his show mm -hmm. reel yeah great no. amazing here's the problem <laughs> the production company's making a magic show <laughs> 
<laughs> send it to someone else. They don't they're, like that. They're, they're busy making a magic show. They don't want to suddenly take on another ma- magician who's probably very similar. Like it, yeah. there aren't many production companies that make multiple magic shows, and if they are, if they do, it tends to be very different show, styles of shows. But JB from Theory Eleven, man, my God, I I, I love JB, but. Whenever you see them do something really impressive, if you ask him, you're like, how do you do this? It's always the most insane story. Sometimes it was like seven years in the making. Sometimes it involved someone dropping everything because they saw someone was somewhere or they they like put the effort in, you know, like if they're, if they're approaching someone like a celebrity for a project, they'll make a book and print the book and give them the like that give it like all they'll they'll finish the project you know they'll show people finish playing cards you know what i mean like yeah and i think they're really like the the good example of like you know going out of your way and really like honing in it always amazes me archie man as well on who does youtube videos like i think one thing that's really exciting when you watch youtube videos is just seeing if you just focus on one guy and put a lot of effort in, you can kind of make it happen. Like, I, yeah. I don't think it's that hard to get a TV show. I'll probably get chastised for saying that, but like, You're, actually, dude, I, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to the emails and letters being like, it's so easy to get a TV show. Then why don't I have one? God, Rory, you, have to you, hone in on, you have to hone in on what it is you want. And then basically just like go to the extremes of making it happen. Like, I, I think, there's a lot of examples of magicians getting TV shows and it's kind of like a little bit luck of the draw. Like Darren was obviously very talented, but he also, the show was already sold and so and they were looking yeah. for a magician and that's very different from like Blaine or um, Dynamo. But all of them have involved in their story. Someone like Andrew O'Connor who sold Darren's show and then found Darren or Dan and Dynamo. Like it, it yeah. It's very copy and paste. <laughs> like the way they get the show is like very copy and paste. And I actually think the best person to copy, if you had to copy someone, is Dynamo because what they did was just like so by the books, and they just wrote it down and said, "We need to do this over the next six years, and we'll get a TV show." And they did. Um, yeah, th- their story is really good. I think we have a write up about it on One Ahead that Richard Young wrote. Did we talk yep. about the story for way too long? And I don't even think we talked about the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did not. Uh, we talked around it and, you know, we uh, called out some email practices. Um, but the good thing is the next story is one that I'm super excited about because it, uh, it holds a really special place in my heart. Because it's all about old magic. And not just any old magic, magic from magazines. Uh, Lawrence Gabe- Gibbons wrote us an amazing opinion piece called The Power of Old Magic Magazines Revealed. God, I'm really bad at saying the word magic magazines. Magic magazines is a bit of a tongue twister, um, but I know I'm a magic nerd. I know that sometimes when I get bored at my day job, I'll open up my phone and I'll go to old genie magazines and start reading. Um, but you don't strike me as the type of person that might do that. Can't stand them. What a load of nonsense. <laughs> Absolute rubbish. <laughs> I, I can't stand them. I just... I, 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 I. Not my thing. I was a member of the Young Magicians. Magicians? I was a member of the YMC when I was younger. My grandparents paid for me for a year. When I was super young. And so I learned card to mouth from a, from a magic magazine. But my experience with magic magazines then and today is that it's just magicians talking about themselves. Or like it's just 
Oh, it's just it's nonsense. What do you think? Look, I'm a good editor though. Like, I let the story go out. <laughs> I didn't edit it much. Like, um, sure, but like, I can disagree with the writers. What do you think? You like magic magazines, don't you? I do. Um, I think there's a lot of value in them in the way that some of the best gems <laughs> in the tricks. I'm, I'm being legitimately honest. I've worked on theater shows, uh, TV appearances where the ideas I took. We're not from like off the shelf magic stuff you can buy at a shop. It was from a magic magazine, um, like the Jinx. I have the Jinx logo tattooed on my arm. Like, of course, I like old magic magazines. Um, and I think the value is that some of the best things in magic are hidden in magazines. I held that laugh in as long as I could. I need you to know that. I was like, maybe if I laugh a little bit later, we can cut it out, and no one will hear me laugh. It's just well, not true, man. Like. I'm it happy is. to have this it argument is. with you. And it's it's like, I don't know. Here's my... Here's my uh, every time I've been asked to write for a magic magazine, there's been no payment. Um, Like, one of the biggest brands in magic asked me to write for their magazine, and they said they'd pay me in stock, in, like, free tricks. <laughs> it's like, and it's the same with these blogs on a lot of magic shop websites. It's like, I, I don't know. The reason I think One Ahead is valuable is because we pay people really well to write articles so i think that's part of it like even when i like i've been featured in a few magic magazines one of them was a favor the other one was a favor like it's it's just like <laughs> I, I i think what's the one that jeff price wrote for was it magic uh what's the magic live one the magic magazine is that what it is uh no Stan one. oh yeah that was magic Je- magazine yeah Jeff Price wrote the. I think it's the thing that Joshua J used to do, where like you teach a trick. Talk thing. about tricks, yeah. And like, I, I, look, I love Jeff. Nothing against him at all, personally. And it's not nothing against him, but like every magic trick in that list is is comes from the writer reaching out and being like, "Got any shit we can give away for free?" <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like okay, if it was it, valuable, but, they would charge but, but, for it. It's just nonsense. But, but that's not okay. But that's not entirely true because we're your your mindset is very much recent magic magazines, which I'm in agreement. Like there has been a sharp decline in the value of magic magazines in the past ten years. I will grant you that. Longer than that? No. I, I just like I, when, Vern, when Vern, are you Vernon, talking about? I can I can understand Vern, the argument that like before the internet was a thing, people put the their best yes, stuff in, ma- in yes, magazines. That's, like, I can, that's when, I can that's, understand. That's that. when I'm arguing that this that's my argument. Like, if you go back and you read the Vernon Touch and you read those essays and you read that thought, like, that's some of the best stuff out there. Like, uh, I was going to mention this at the end, but, like, my favorite trick uh, from Juan Samadith comes from uh, Magic, uh, comes from a Magic magazine, uh, Genie 2002 in the October issue. He has a great, like, group telepathy thing, and I've used it countless times at bars for friends. It's such a great thing, and it's hidden. Who? Juan Tamariz. Oh, you said his name very sexy the first time. You had a whole accent. <laughs> what? Well, Juan Tamariz. It's kind of yes. hot. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, my thing is, like, yes, prior to the internet, prior before people could just get paid to put anything on an instant download or a DVD or put it in a book, they would go to magic magazines. Like, some of the best mind-reading stuff you'll ever find is in the Jinx. That stuff's over 100 years old. So like, I'm just so over it. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because in my head I'm like edit producing and I'm like Rory 
This will be a more entertaining listen if you, you know, amp up how anti-magazine you are so you can have, like, your first proper debate on the podcast. But then I'm also like, nah, screw it. Magic magazines suck, man. Like, all of the world's most successful and most famous performers perform the same five tricks. What are you going to find in a magazine from 80 years ago? Like, it's cool. And, like, it's great that these, like, I don't know, I'm just so, like, not a magician's magician. And I think that it's like, yeah, it's great. There are certain magicians in Magic who we already look up to and we love their touches or whatever the thing is. But like, you know, like, no one successful is doing that stuff. <laughs> like, Not like, anymore. I don't know. Not like, anymore. It's huh? like, you're right. Not anymore. That's why he's saying old Magic magazines. Because you got to think, like, if you're talking pre-internet, like, you had these huge names, these, like, large-than-life figures, and they would contribute to these magazines. And now we I just think have the only the reason the only reason to go back that far is if you're someone and I've got someone in mind who performs for the same millionaires every year for a week. Actually I have two people in mind who do that. So those are the only people I can think who would get value in doing that because they have to constantly update their material every year. Everyone else, like what are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't know, like like well, your like, spectators aren't going to recognize oh this is a trick i haven't seen before like uh, you know david blaine does double cross like come on <laughs> <laughs> like what are we talking about guys why are we looking in magazines from 80 years ago when david blaine is buying magic from vanishing ink like what are you what are you talking about guys it's so stupid no it's not it's not there's value there i promise there's value there i promise you just have to what like what are you talking about you, I'm I'm talking about the fact that some of the best card material in the world is found in magazines. It is, it is, it's a fact. But like, am I? I'm trying to. I'm, ra- I'm racking my brains for like where this would be useful. I'm like, well, I guess Darren and sometimes he looks really far back, and I'm like, and I guess Ben Hart. But they've but they're on like show seventeen. Of course, they're looking at <laughs> looking back. Like they've done like seventeen hours of stay, like more than that because the show's like three hours long. Like. But you, know, up, but you can up. But you can update material too. You like that's like. Here's the thing. We want to talk about but creativity. Why? Right? Why not just do new material? I don't understand. No, you can take old material and make it new again. You can. You, you can do a pseudo psychometry routine with cell phones, with yeah. AirPods. I will. I will say there's a shop in London that sells old books, and they've got a lot of old magic books in there. And the guy knows; he knows how much they're worth. It's you, the amount of magicians I know tell me about the shop, and that they found these books. Now oh, I'm going to get a bargain, and they realise they're worth a fortune. Yeah. But one of them. First of all, I found Angle Zero in there, which really made me laugh. It was like a book <laughs> that was like really, really, really old, like re- early, uh, really old, and it was um, it was just Angle Zero. But I think the the corner ended up in like a piece of old foil chewing gum wrapper or something. Anyway, but also in another book, I found this amazing trick. And it was one of those ones where I was like, but it's only impressive because of how old the book was. It was this little uh, metal elephant that you put on the stand, you cover it with a handkerchief and it slowly sinks down. And then when you take the handkerchief away, it's gone. And the method was that the elephant was made of uh, liquid metal, which I think is called gallium. And it would the table was heated so the, the the elephant would melt and then form a new top layer to this metal table how insane is that <laughs> you know what and See, it was like talk- really I- old 
the the table was heated because of a candle underneath. Like that's how old this trick was. And you said there's no value in old magic. Ha ha. Jokes on you. I just I just don't like. It's just it's exciting and interesting and fun. It sparks new ideas. Like I I agree with all that stuff. But like in the real world, like just go do the invisible deck. And I know people are going to get really annoyed with the same. <laughs> but like, I mean, come on. That you know how like fashion goes out of style. Like now, more people have seen double cross than the invisible deck. How crazy is that? David Blaine performed double cross. Man, if you're ever if you ever sat there thinking, man, I should find some new material or I should, like, look through some old magic magazines, watch David Blaine do Double Cross and be like, oh, it doesn't matter. He's doing the trick that all the TikTokers are doing. Like, it just, it doesn't matter. Anyway. It matters. It matters. Next sto- it, it matters. <laughs> Our next story is actually, um, it's, uh, oh, by the way, if you want to read the, the, uh, the opinion of someone who does believe that magic magazines are good. The full story is at oneahead.com. But our next story is actually um it's actually some sad news. Yeah, um Roman obviously broke the news on his essay called Why Prop Dog Magic Shop is closing its doors. Full story. Um yeah it's hard to put into words what this means uh for the UK magic scene. For anyone who doesn't know Prop Dog is kind of like the UK's magic shop. Um, I think that's kind of... I mean, it really is. Like, there's Alakazam and stuff, and there's some other places, but, like, there's something about Prop Dog that really feels kind of like the beating heart of the UK when it comes to, like, magic shops because he's just so well-known for, like, delivering on time and having good customer service and all that kind of stuff. Um... And they don't really do original products. Uh, they do, but like few and far between. It's not like they're pumping out a new one every month. They, they yeah. probably did one every like two or three years. You know, Bonsall started doing his own products, which is why it was called Prop Dog, because it was, he was meant to make magic props. He did Ring Flight, which was a huge trick like seven or eight years ago, and people don't really perform anymore, but it, it was like a really, really, really amazing Ring Flight re- re- revolution? Ring Flight revelation? Ring- ah, who knows? Um... <laughs> One of those, one of those pun names of the tricks, but yeah, um, Roman reported that it um, it's closed its its doors. So uh, Dave has moved to a new place, and he's just making props for himself at the moment, and then he might uh, make them for other people. But essentially, the magic shop arm of it has closed down. Um, yeah, and it, I think it's kind of it's. Uh, emblematic is that the word yes emblematic of of um of what's happening around the world you know we had uh some kind of famous magic names reach out and say the same thing's happening in uh in hong kong i think um it's kind of happening everywhere these magic shops that were physical magic shops are, uh, are closing down now this is this is we can get into an argument about this one too what do you how do you feel about physical magic shops well so i grew up in a small town where there was no magic shop. I, I am the magic community here in my town. I'm it. Um, <laughs> so, so I've went to magic shops and I've loved them, but I always felt like an outsider. So yeah. I, I can understand the scene behind it. When you grow up, if you grow up next to Tannins, if you grew up going to Tannins magic camp, 
if you grew up going to Prop Dog or going to the Alakazam shop, if you grew up going to those places and you remember going to physical places, I can understand the nostalgia there. But at the same time, I, I think what is going to be missed is the community you can build around that to get all the magicians to come to one place. But mm. I also, I don't see, outside of the communal aspect of it, I don't see a real purpose of having a physical shop. Yeah, my thing is, look, if you're going to have a shop and you want it to surprise, to survive from a business perspective, it either just needs to be like a shop front to your warehouse, which Dan and Dave kind of did originally with Art of Play. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like not really costing you anything extra and it can be somewhere people drive to to find. Or it needs to be a destination store. It needs to feel like a Harrods or a Hamley's, which is exactly what Tannen's I think feels yes. like weirdly the magic apple has kind of got that vibe of like going and hanging out the magic apple but i don't really know why um no, no swipe at them but it's like uh, maybe it's just an la thing it's like you know it's in one of those like strip mall places whereas like mm-hmm. tannins is, is like the center of new york it's like you got these like a tiny elevator to find it and it's like beautiful old like it looks like something from like a movie you know what i mean it's it's kind of it's a destination store but yeah. my big thing about the story and, and listening to people complain about prop dog vanishing is I'm like, dude, did you buy from them? Like, did you go to the stop the store? Like, I don't know. It's like it, there's Anthony Owen. I think used to call it the Davenport's tax. There was a shop called Davenport's in in um, in London, uh, which basically was like, yeah, it's gonna cost you a little bit more. You're gonna have to. It's gonna take longer to get there, but like that's the the tax you pay to keep a magic shop open. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, you, you've got to buy and support your your magic shop. You know, if you're sat here listening to this now and you're like, man, I really hope the Magic Apple or Tannins never closes. Well, buy from them. <laughs> like yes, next time you yes. buy magic, buy from buy from Tannins. Don't buy from one of these kind of like ghost stores that just has a website and no no physical st- a shop front. If you care about that, not everyone does, but 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 people do. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I know for a fact that I I will sometimes check Tannins or Magic Apple before I buy something, so I can at least try to support a smaller business. Um, because it mm. it makes me feel it makes me feel it makes me feel a little bit better that I'm doing my part to keep some traditional alive. Um, but I don't know. It's I think there's such a disconnect between me and the magic community, like with magic stores, because I grew up in a very small town where it's like seven people and a bunch of cornfields. Um, mm-hmm. It it just sounds insane to me that there are magic stores where people go to and hang out. That's insane to me. Uh, it didn't make sense until I actually went to my first one, and I didn't like it. But that—that's. But I think they're closed now too, so it's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, I've thought about it. I, I know, like, my thing is like, and just to add, I think it needs to be a destination store, almost like Houdini's. Is, you know what I mean? Like, it needs to be that place that like feels fun and exciting to go and feels like a Harry Potter land. And just selling the same ten tricks every day, kind of thing. And then maybe you've got some stuff you order in for people. Or, and I'm surprised no one's done this, is, like, serve coffee and drinks and, like, make it, like, really go it like, the amount of magicians who hang out at these shops, but there's no monetization because maybe they'll buy something, but they're, they're looking to jam. But, like, magicians would love that, to go to a shop and sit and work and then also be able to, like, buy coffees that haven't, you know, like, that kind of, I don't know. I got, I got a new business idea. Who knows? <laughs> there's this place called International in, in London, which is tiny, which is still going. And we'll see how long that keeps going for. But 
people just I don't know I think I don't think that I'm I'm like on one today magicians in general are not nice people no but they're not like there's something about the onboarding sequence of like most magicians got into magic for like not great reasons like wanting to know how something works feeling like they were being outsmarted or wanting to get one over on other people like um not everyone but a lot of people do it's an art form that doesn't reward hard work you know it's not like being a violinist where you have to study and go to uni and work you know there are magicians who only know four tricks and they do really well and they've never taken an acting class or a scripting class or they didn't study performing arts like they they never looked at old magic magazines (laughs) exactly (laughs) but anyway so uh, you know and it's an industry that 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 relies on secrets and it's got to attract a certain type of person. And I'm not, you know, a lot of magicians are great, but a lot of them are sexist, annoying people and they don't make for great customers. And I think that they'll always just seek out the cheapest, best deal. You know, they'll, they'll, you know, it look at bookshops, man. Like everyone just went to Amazon and people who read books, a lot of them do have a heart and they still were like, I oh, know I want the cheaper deal. I think it's the same thing with magic. I think people will just always buy the cheaper option. They'll yeah. always seek out the pirate copy or they'll Google around for a cheaper thing. I, you know, I was really thinking when, uh, when I was writing a story, it's coming up. So, uh, you know, what? <laughs> I'll wait till that one to go in, but I was trying to work out. I was like, what is going to survive like in 10 years time? And I think that destination stores will survive. And I still believe there's an opportunity for a, a, a new kind of Marvin's magic that's not, you know, that takes itself more seriously, you know what I mean? But And perhaps a destination prank and, and magic shop, you know, Houdini's does it well. Um, but anyway, I was trying to work out what, what what's going to survive business-wise in the magic industry, and I'm going to set it up because I'll talk about it later in a later story. Um but yeah, um, the whole the whole story of this prop dog thing is is on one ahead. We actually post magic news every Friday. Roman Armstrong writes them, so just check the website on a Friday, and you can get the magic news um, over on oneahead.com. So earlier this month, there was a New York Times article that stirred up a, a bit of controversy, uh, and I pitched that we would respond to it because it's not very often the New York Times is talking about magic. Yeah, and we got a TikToker who's a skeptic and psychic debunker called uh, Dustin Dean to guest write it for us. Um, and his article is called The Yuri Geller New York Times Story Debunked. I think and it does awesome. exactly what it is on the 10. It does. It does. Did, I, it did, does. I, say that, did I say that right? Did I say that right? <laughs> is that a UK phrase? It does what it says on the 10? Yeah, I've, I've only heard you guys say that. Oh, really? Who have you heard say that? And how old were they? <laughs> Craig Petty. I'm about to do... Oh, my God. That's such a Craig Petty phrase. Oh, my God. That's... You know, in my head, I was like, no one says that. And as soon as said that, I was like, oh, Craig probably says that every 10 minutes. Um, yeah, this is re- this is interesting. And it's what we kind of set up with the cold open and, and everything. Um, and it's it's... It's an interesting one. So in summary, this guy called David Segal 
who's an amateur magician and writer, he wrote a, a, an op-ed for the New York Times and it was titled uh, The End of a 50-Year Grudge. And it was basically... The summary, the summary of the article is that uh, magicians are no longer upset with Yuri Geller and they're actually embracing him. And a lot of people were pissed off, but just to play devil's advocate, I can really see where he came from because... Uh, Yuri Geller was, I believe, a guest of honor, or at least certainly a guest at uh, Blackpool Magic Convention uh, yes. a few years back. There's a there's a new book by uh, oh, I've just completely blanked on his name, but it just come out with Vanishing Ink, which ben is Harris. kind of about Geller, Ben Harris, and all about his methods. And so I can understand on like face value, oh, it does look like Yuri's being embraced more, and I do think. I do think it's true to a certain extent. He's being interviewed by magicians and all that kind of stuff. I think, anyway, magicians got pissed off because they were basically like, no, Yuri Geller is not a nice person. He's done X, Y, Z, which are super controversial and and bad. And he's a con artist. And magicians prefer honest liars, not people who pretend it's real when it's actually a trick because it does a lot of damage. And uh, yeah, Dustin Dean just went all in, basically, and wrote his response um dustin dean is a tiktoker who basically exposes psychics on on tiktok and and gets a lot of views doing it yeah i i don't know i feel kind of weird about it because it's like and i'm gonna choose my words very very carefully uh to avoid any lawsuits um Uh (laughs) yuri is a special case of he is so smart that he can get away with it but not mm. smart enough to know the damage he could be doing. And that's a dangerous... Yeah. I don't know if that's mm. true. I don't, I think we should avoid all of that as a topic to go into. Like, he's, de- he's definitely... You know... It's all bullshit, right? And there's, there's well... arguments... That he, there's basically <laughs> arguments that he's done stuff that is... <laughs> is immoral there's lots of people lots of stuff that he's done that could, you could say is immoral and then the the thing that justin dean is really cares about is that he's basically saying a lot of what yuri does um empowers people to do worse stuff or objectively mm-hmm. evil stuff and they'll use yuri to defend what they're doing or as like this kind of like yuri broke down the door and they kind of run through with the fake psychic stuff um yeah, I think the thing that's changed, which Dean touched on at the end of this article, is that like, is actually, I think it's less about magicians' opinion on Yuri changing, and more about Yuri's mm. opinion on magicians changing. You know, he's not suing people anymore. Uh, he's and he's sharing books that show how he did it, kind of thing. And I, yeah. I, he's the kind of thing, by the way, one thousand percent. When Yuri's like on his deathbed there'll be a Netflix documentary and he'll reveal everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's just no way that he wouldn't kind of thing, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. No, he definitely will. He's just, he's just like, he's so like, I don't know. He just knows what he's doing. It's, I think for him though, it's all just like learned behavior. Like, it's just reinforced learned behavior. He does it without thinking. Almost everything he does, because he's just learned it over time that it works. Um, but I don't know, man. It, 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 
what I would say is that I, I've done, it's like one of the a few things I will do is like bend a spoon for people because you can just grab a spoon and do it. And it's like, oh, there's something about those bloody spoons, man. That's just captivating, isn't it? There's something about it. <laughs> uh, now, now I just want to see your full metal bending act. Uh, no metal bending. It's, it's as simple as, as, as it can be. I, you know what I always think is I'm like, damn, if it was an easier way to do a coin bend, I, I feel like I would be really into that as a as a trick to do but i just i just i haven't yeah. seen a version of a coin bend that doesn't beat just switching it out um and magicians are getting never gonna be, saying that too you're never gonna be able to beat out of a switch you're like it's just like because here's a, here's the thing anytime someone's like well my coin can be signed who the fuck signs a coin <laughs> it just it doesn't I just think it it's there's something about signing a coin that for me personally I think with magic there needs to be like almost like a cloud of smoke where you can't see the way it was done kind of thing and something about signing it makes you go well the only way it can be done is if you bent it before you put it in, in my hand you know what I mean like yeah I I, I, I I know that sounds a bit nuts. I remember the Superman coin bend. I remember seeing actually JB doing that when I saw it on Theory 11 and being like, that is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably the best one because it's not like uh, this, the the other ones that are like built into pens or you have that thing in your hand that's squeak. Like, the thing about Superman, it, it, the coin is kind of always in view. So I think it probably is the best one in terms of that. But like, just switch the the thing out, man. Yeah, and on top of that, and like, and this is what I think people can learn from Yuri Geller. I, I just like that's the thing. I may have my opinions on Yuri Geller, but I also think there's a lot to be learned from him. He never once had a spoon signed. He never once had a coin signed, a key. He never signed any of that stuff, and people still thought it was real. Mm. So, so like to me, it is if if you're gonna do an act that's like that you might as well go all in with it and go, well, I'm not going to have it signed to prove how smart I am that I can secretly bend it. I'm just going to do what Yuri did and go, hey, watch the spoon. Boom, it's twisted. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't remember him signing. Maybe he did sign stuff occasionally. But just going back quickly, because I just remembered, you know, it's a great method. There's one great method for a coin bend, but I can't say it. Someone showed me at the session years ago. Oh my god, it blew my mind. And I still talk about it. I talked about it with a friend of mine when we went to the session last year. I was like, you know the best thing I've ever seen at the session? It was 10 years ago when I was like 18 years old. Oh, it was a coin bend, but it, it was it, it, it involved a switch, but it's more complicated than that. No signing. Um, yeah. But you know what is a really good method for a coin bend that I used to do? Um, I don't know if I ever did this for a client or if it was just something I... Maybe I did it in a video or something. But it's just a raven and a coin shell. And basically, if you have a coin bent with a coin shell on top of it, you can see the coin underneath, but not if you put it in the middle of someone's hand, like in the palm. Mm. So so it's like bent just a, a little bit and it's caved into like how your palm is caved anyway with the coin on top. And then you wave, you would, uh, I think the way that I did it was I had a magnet at the bottom of my watch. So as they held, as they asked them to close their hand, it it took away the, the coin shell. So now they just had the bent coin in the hand. That one's pretty good. Also, for a while, I screwed around with actually bending coin shells, which looks great. <laughs> like, expensive. Expensive. 
It's expensive. But I basically, what I did was, oh God, I forgot all this stuff I used to do. I had a bent coin inside a coin shell, but it was behind it so you couldn't see. And then I bent the coin shell onto it. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So, Ooh, that'd so be cool. That looked really neat. It looked pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I, there was a company that made coins that you could like snap in half. Actually, it might have been Theory 11 or something. That was like a weird one. Um, I, I remember Prop Dog for a while made the keys. Anyway, look, I don't know if we've like delved into this topic. I don't think it was really a... I, I don't think it was really... Uh, people weren't... It's one of the things we talked about when we were, we were editing Dustin's piece is that I don't think it's really a story about Yuri. It's more... It, the story is more about like the grudge between magicians and Yuri and like if that is still over or not. Um and I think I think it's hard to say. I think that I think if James Randy was here still, I don't think Yuri Geller would be a guest of honor at Blackpool <laughs> and stuff. No, so I, I don't know. No it's, way. It's, yeah, so it's 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 uh it's an interesting one. Um Yeah, and I'm glad we had a response to it because like there's so much tension about this particular topic. And I think me and you kind of lay on the same ground on it where it's like, we have our opinions, but also me and you don't have a grudge against him. But at the same time, I think to say there's no grudge at all. I think that's just really short sighted. You know, who does have a grudge against him. Dustin Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dustin did a wonderful job though. So, yeah, one thing I did really see the other week that really made me laugh was Lloyd Barnes posted, uh, you either die a magician or live long enough to become a mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> it really made me laugh, but I think there's something, I think the reason why mentalists get quite worked up at, at Yuri is because he's like, he's only one step away better from them. Than... He's better than no, them? Not, but... No, no, not better than them. <laughs> I just mean like it's so easy, it's so in reach. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of things to compare it to, but they're not PG, so I can't really do it. But like, it, it's <laughs> seeing like, an ugly dude pick up a girl at a bar, you're just like, no, hey, no, 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 you're no. not supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. But what I mean is like, I think why mentalists get so annoyed is because it's so in reach for them because they know all they have to do is pretend it's real and they could probably make a lot more money but it would be immoral and like it's as easy as like flicking a switch uh, a little bit but anyway uh, if you want to read Dustin Z's response it's pretty aggressive man you can go to wannahead.com see the the full rebuttal um, and debunking of the New York Times piece the 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 sad news is that one ahead has a much smaller reach than the New York Times, so I'm pretty sure uh, it was a huge net positive for uh, for our friend New York Times. One ahead, yeah. <laughs> Yuri, Yuri Geller. Um, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, if Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk can get in a fist fight, maybe so can Dustin Dean and Yuri Geller. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, actually today, oh maybe last night, <laughs> the Magic Crasher. Got did a mat did a fight boxing match with a, a magician who I forget the name of, but he's a funny guy. Um, one of those TikTok creator things. I saw it last night and I was like, God, should we write a news story about this? I don't think so. But it was two two he- TikTok magicians fighting in a TikTok boxing thing. Um, did either of them get knocked out? I didn't watch it. I just saw it was half. I saw like a poster for it. Um, 
the guy's always topless and he's wearing a top hat and has like long hair. He does like quite controversial jokes. Uh, the 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 younger guy is like twenty six, and it's the magic crash who's in his forties. So it was, uh, and, but dude, you know how I did see? It? I saw the video of them like facing off at the weigh in, and they were like mm-hmm. making canes appear in each other's faces and and springing cards at each other. <laughs> it, was like, it was oh god, I hate yeah, magicians. Ma- I hate, I hate, uh, yeah. I want to write about Tom Cruise and Ben Hart this week. I don't. I don't want the news to be about two magicians beating each other up. Um, but our last story is is my opinion post, and it's titled "This Thread News is a Wake Up Call to the Magic Industry Prediction." Ba 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 ba. Yes. Uh. So one of my favorite things about working with you is that you'll chime in and take and give takes on what the future of magic might be, and um. You're pretty accurate for someone who's not a psychic. Yeah, um, that's the, the favorite thing about about working with me is that. Well, no, it's also your lovely voice and you know there your you generous go, predisposition. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so handsome. Yeah, basically, magic's dead, man. It's all. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. So uh, Meta and Mark Zuckerberg launched this app called Threads. It's kind of, it, it, they basically leveraged their Instagram audience to launch this rival to Twitter and it did incredibly well. Got 150 million signups in the first 10 days, which is more than any social media app ever. And uh, time will tell, but it's doing all right. And it seemed like a good topical end to a story I've been thinking about writing for a long time. A lot of magic shop owners talked to me about this off the record, and I was like, I don't know, this this feels like an interesting comparison. People on Facebook, some people thought it was a bad comparison, but weirdly, every magic shop that I've spoken to thought it was a good comparison. But basically, uh, Meta has this monopoly business, and they were able to leverage this monopoly to launch this social app, um, and basically overnight create this huge rival because of their existing customer base and there is a monopoly that exists within magic in my opinion uh called murphy's magic disclaimer i've worked with murphy's in the past they've stopped my products we've done an original dvd together called moments i still get paid from them by that so hopefully that'll show you that like i'm not uh, if i am biased it's 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 a weird bias um they have a monopoly on, on the magic wholesale industry. Every magic every magic trick you buy was bought, reordered, or sometimes even like funded or commissioned by Murphy's Magic. Every good trick, every bad trick, every rip-off trick, every great trick came through them. Um, from any magic shop you buy, that's where they stop their magic tricks from. And one of the reasons why Prop Dog closed their shop was because of the cost of living crisis in the UK and leaving Brexit um i don't know how brexit made this but anyway it made uh shipping to europe more expensive but it made shipping uh wholesale orders from murphy's which is based in california very difficult so a lot of companies uh like i think penguin do this but vanishing definitely do that they actually have their wholesale their, their like warehouse right next door to murphy's in california to like, minimize those costs so anyway um Murphy's have this kind of crazy hold on the industry and uh, they decide what everyone stocks and, and oh, you know, X, Y, Z. You can read so many articles I've written about it. And basically, the the general point of the article was that Murphy's, in theory, could do what Meta has done to a point and leverage all of their existing stuff they have from having a monopoly, which they've got through a great business. Congrats, that's the price of doing good business, having a monopoly. And if they hit this red button, 
which is fictional, but who knows? Maybe they do have a red button there that does this. That'd be cool. Um, and, they, <laughs> and they start selling direct to customers. It would just wipe out every magic shop in the world overnight. That was kind of the nah. the piece. The, that was the opinion, the prediction. Not the prediction, but it was. they could do it. They could do it, man. They could do it. <laughs> so now just have this image of Javier walking through the shop and going, what does this button do? And just hitting it on accident. That's exactly what it is. And I should say again, like... <laughs> nothing against Murphy's nothing against the people who work there I've got great experience with loads of people George is amazing Lloyd's great Javier I hear great things about Bo I love dearly like these are friends of mine it's not good for me to say this about a company my friends work for but it's a monopoly and like you know you can you can be a great business uh, and be great people congrats you've won you're now in a monopoly um but yeah, it, just the fact of the matter is, if they ever decide to sell direct to consumers, which they could do because they built up this huge social media audience, um, it would just be a disastrous for the the magic, the magic industry basically because it's at the point now, especially when physical shops are closing, um, and when distribution is getting so good, like Shopify are about to launch this distribution all around the world. Amazon do fulfillment now. Um, in theory, you could buy from Murphy's and it could still arrive the next day in Australia if they just had forwarding facilities or micro warehouses all around the world. So even like Vanishing Ink, if you buy a product from Vanishing Ink in the UK, it, Murphy's, they order it immediately from Murphy's. It goes down the road to Vanishing Ink. They ship it to the UK in a big batch of orders. And then in the UK, their UK warehouse will send that to you. So it arrives in like three days which is still pretty quick, but it's because they do this twice weekly, like shipping cycle kind of thing or, or something like that to that extent. But there's no reason why Murphy's couldn't go, you know what? We fancy making 66% more on every product we sell. And we think customers will buy direct from us. We don't need to do the magic shops anymore. So why don't we just set up a forwarding facility in Europe, Canada, Australia, whatever. I should say, I don't actually think Murphy's will will sell direct to customer i think they they would if they felt they in no position to do otherwise i don't think they would do it because i don't think they're very good at they would i think they'd be terrible at customer support um <clears throat> I, I just think that it's not it's not part of their business and it's hard to get good at that kind of thing um so i think that what they'll probably do is drop shipping um and even that would still change the landscape of magic completely overnight. I've talked a lot. You go, Nathan. Go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's... Um, I'm lost for words. Um, I think I'm trying to stretch my head around the fact that they're going from B to B to B to C, if, if they wanted to. Because it's... I have so many fond memories of opening up packages from Penguin Magic with their little mnemonica tape around the box. Uh the envelopes, the bright red envelopes from Vanishing Ink, and knowing that that stuff is Murphy's. Like, you know what I mean? I, I know this. Uh, I've worked in the industry long enough to know how much control Murphy's has. And I don't know. It's such a weird feeling to know that at any moment, the industry that we've been part of could be changed overnight with a single with a single decision. Mm. Because yeah. it would change overnight. Because at that point, I mean, there, there's a few there's a few online retailers uh, who they don't carry stuff from Murphy's. They only produce in house. 
And I also think it's really cool that if someone's like, oh, why is Rory right about this? Well, you predicted the fact that most shops are going to only do physical products. And uh, look at what we're look where we're at. You know what I mean? So I mean, yeah, the thing as well is like we're, the reason why it's, I'm kind of confident in something like this will happen is because Murphy's have been building up their social following, and there wasn't really any. It's not normal for a wholesaler to do that. It's very strange they did that. Um, but also like magic shops are already hanging on by a thread. Like most magic shops, you know, like there's one shop in the UK. You go to the website. It's like this is in stock in the warehouse. And then you like hover over it and it says that it's it will ship from California to the UK. And you're like, well, hang on. So a lot of shops, 98% of their stock, they don't actually have in stock. They'll just order it from Murphy's when you sell it. So they're they're really they're so close to just being a drop shipped. And what I mean by drop shipping is you you would place an order on a shop and on a shop's website, and then Murphy's would fulfill the order and send it to you on the shop's behalf. Um and I think that'll be really interesting if that happens because I think first of all, physical shops the 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 reason why that would be like I guess problematic is that overnight anyone can build a magic shop. And to a point people can do that now, and it was one of the problems people didn't like when Murphy's started this the the system where they'll they'll ship the product to you when you sell it. Is that in theory I could launch a magic shop here and just forward the post every time and that would be a problem. So it's only one less step. But in theory, if if Murphy's created dropshipping, then I don't really see a reason why there wouldn't be like a thousand magic shops because everyone, you know, if they wouldn't have to do any shipping, it, people would just make magic shops. It would just be, you know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, because I mean, it's the same idea that you see on social media where it's like, hey, get rich by dropshipping. And yeah. you just buy stuff from Alibaba and have it drop shipped to whoever, and you mark up the price. So I think I, we I would think... get we would get swamped. There would be a flood of storefronts, of online storefronts, of ghost stores, basically. I think, and I think that would water everything down. Right now, there's a barrier to entry to become a magic shop, and there wouldn't be one anymore. Yeah, I think that's also what's frightening is that if you go back and you look at the old magic magazines the editors were like top names in the industry and there was this barrier of entry where if you wanted a public audience with the magic like no i was about to say magic circle but not the magic circle although best of luck in your elections um hmm. the magic circle the uh like the magic community if you want an audience with the magic community there was a hard barrier of entry where you had to appease the right people and that's where you get this whole like notion that it's an old boys club which it is but I think there's some value there of having gatekeepers. Like, I, I hate how gatekeeping has been turned negative. There should be some gatekeepers, especially when you're talking about, I, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't think anyone with half-baked ideas should be posting it. I, I just don't. That's not gatekeeping, though. I think you need to look <laughs> up the you're definition the of gatekeeping. Because, <laughs> like, you're keeping the I, gate. I think there's a lot more of, like, a political, racial background to that word that you're, like, overlooking. Um, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I I understand what I I see what you um, what you mean about that. My thing is, I just magic shops got shit when Murphy's gave them incent incentivized them stocking everything. I liked it when you went on a magic shop and they only stocked good products, <laughs> like. But now you go on a magic shop and they stock every magic trick ever done in the world. And I just, I can't imagine getting into magic now. Because when, when I got into magic, like you go to these shops, 
you know, and for me it was like Theory 11 and uh, Paper Crane and I guess Illusionist. And they oh, all had like... I forgot about them. They Like Paper Crane I used to love and they just produced good shit and it was like maybe five things a year kind of thing. And now if you're getting into magic, like, you know, I Andy and Josh are great, but my God, imagine never having performed a magic trick and then you go on Vanishing X website. <laughs> like, it would like overwhelm you to like there's it, it, oh anyway it sucks it, the, it, well, there's no like curation there's no website where it's like hey here's 50 great tricks which prop dog was originally but the incentives that murphy's put in place made that difficult i don't, I don't know man i i the, you know what i do think will survive I, I set this up earlier so can i can i finish myself off <laughs> um depends on what you mean by that so i think and this is going to sound nuts. So first of all, one thing you'll know over the last like two couple of years is that everyone has started investing in original products. Vanishing Ink has, Alakazam has, Illusionist mm-hmm. has. And I think that comes from a place of like, well, that's the way you survive if Murphy's do this kind of thing is is by selling stuff you can't get elsewhere. You, you know, because if Murphy's can, do, can sell it for cheaper or whatever and they've got the facilities to stock the way that you can't, then the best way to set yourself apart is to have your own products. I don't know if that's true or that's why they're doing it, but if you'll notice, like a lot of these companies aren't promoting wholesale products from Murphy's anymore. They're just promoting their own original stuff. But mm-hmm. what I was thinking is, and it's 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 accidental, because I was actually thinking of the, the guys who run The Daily Magician. One Ahead doesn't really sell stuff. We, we're just magic news. So I was thinking about them, and I guess it kind of reflects on us a little bit too. I was like, you know who who will do really well from this. I think destination stores will survive. Magic shops with good customer service will survive. But I think newsletters, man, I think newsletters mm-hmm. are going to do great. And I'll tell you why. Um, A lot of people who find a newsletter, the way that uh, uh, we're targeting people with newsletters, they're not shopping around. A lot of them, they don't have any other magic friends or know any of the magicians. They've just stumbled across a newsletter. So that's like, you're their entry point or you're their like their home base for magic, if that makes sense. And then the mm-hmm. other thing is like, if you look at what the Daily Magician do or, or other newsletters, um, like kind of like us, if we ever do it, like there's no storefront. And so that dissuades pirates and piracy, but it also puts you off shopping around so if i'm sending out if you if you're receiving an email going hey we've got this trick it's this much it's available for one week early here's the link it's going to expire soon you don't come from this place of like oh i'm going to google and see if it's available anywhere else oh murphy's has it for less and it's easier shipping i'll buy from murphy's do, do you know what i mean so kind of like yeah it puts you in your own lane it, it's kind of this own one-to-one uh, relationship that you've got going on over there you know what i mean like it's it's uh, i think email that's why penguin is so good i just think email marketing will be the thing that kind of survives and and uh, and and does all right and also you know what else is going to survive magic news and uh and journalism hopefully <laughs> what were you gonna say i was gonna say old magic magazine oh no don't say that <laughs> god damn it yeah we're well, gonna outlive us all they're going to outlive us all. I was thinking about it. It was quite... When all this stuff, and I was writing it, I was like, there's kind of this irony because one ahead will survive because we... But, but we'll just write about everyone else not surviving, which is kind of, like, sad. And, and You know what I mean? Like, it's like... It's kind of like when you see writers writing about the writer's strike. There's something kind of, like... 
it's not it's like we'll always survive we'll always survive because whatever happens in magic we'll just write about it you know what i mean Uh, yeah i mean it's very uh, cannibalistic but you know it's uh, here's the thing i just hope javier doesn't hit that button anytime soon uh I hope he sends. I just a, accidentally bump into it on the side of the wall. If he listens to this, I hope he sends a video, a picture of this big red button. Um, <laughs> anyway, it just says B two C. Yeah, the uh, no, they'll do drop shipping. I'm, I, I, guys, my prediction is that Murphy's Magic will do drop shipping, um, and there's nothing magic shops can do about it. Anyway, if you want to read that story, the full pray, pray, please pray. Um, for every magic shop dealer all around the world. Um, if you want to read the full story, it's available at onehead.com. It's a lot more juicy and has a lot more kind of like predictions and stuff. It's free to read as well. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, also, last thing, guys. This podcast sucks to make. It's, I don't know if you can tell from my voice today, like Nathan's on his phone now because it's, it's, we had like a, a Wi Fi problem. And so, like, it actually ends up taking us, like, three hours to record. Not because we cut it down, but because, like, it's very stop-start and it doesn't work and stuff. And right now I'm topless in a very hot room surrounded by duvets <laughs> and pillows. Nathan, where are you right now? In a cupboard. In a cupboard. Because we want you guys to have good sound. And it, then we have to kind of, like, edit it all down and upload it and stuff. So the whole process probably takes between, like, five and six hours. But uh, probably a little bit longer. And we don't get paid for this. There's no ads on the podcast. We don't charge you to listen to it. Um, and it's very difficult for us to understand if it's worth it. <laughs> we can see how many listeners there are, but it's it's very like, it's not, you know, there's no comment section. So look, if you're listening to this podcast, you made it to the end and you, you give a shit at all, can you just email team at oneahead.com and just tell us why you like it, if it made you subscribe, if you sent it to a friend, um just give us like some some feedback it could be constructive and say i don't like this whatever just some kind of like i think we're missing that like right now it's just us in tiny rooms Motivation. sweating every month <laughs> and there's no way of knowing if like anyone's listening or if we're just going crazy so like <laughs> team com. and the other thing as well that i think i do want to quickly say Nathan and I are working on a, 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 a second project that's kind of taking everything we've learned from doing One Ahead and we're we're writing about a different topic. Um, and if you've listened to this and you want to prove that you've listened to it, just go to subscribe to AI.com. That's subscribe to AI.com and subscribe. We're going to write stories about a different topic. And if you like the way we write about magic, you'll probably like the way we're going to write about our topic. Um yeah, Nathan, do you want to say anything? I feel like I've just like plowed through this podcast and just talked to get it get it done. What do you think? Um, yeah, uh, I don't like being in the small room. Um, so if like, here's the thing, um, me and you are going to have these conversations regardless, right? Whether we record them or not, we're still going to jump on the phone with each other and talk. Um, I do think there's a lot of value in what we say in these. So uh, hopefully, people are picking stuff up um, and they like. Honestly, if if people would just like email us and say rory is wrong about magazines we will continue to sweat it out yeah there's not a lot of uh there's like you know we we one ahead is for the most part a passion project like it makes money now but like we we pay authors really well like we need to want to do this basically i think is the is the point Mm -hmm. and yeah 
and I think we just need a nudge or a reminder that that, that we want to do this, um, uh, if that makes sense. And, you know, one of the things that always annoys me, just to go on another rant about magicians, magicians will say, <laughs> I love <laughs> One Ahead, or I love the podcast. And then I'll say, oh, Wicked, have you told anyone? And they'll be like, no. <laughs> like... <laughs> Imagine saying that about anything else. But there's something about magic. If you find something good, you keep it to yourself. Or you know what I mean? Like, so for the love of God, if you like one ahead, tell your friends about it. Like, post about it in a WhatsApp group. I just don't get it. Like, it's crazy. At one point when I first started one ahead on Substack, I said I would pay people twenty pounds if they referred a friend. And it didn't happen. Didn't no no one no one did it. So anyway, <sighs> I think my favorite thing, and this will be the last thing before I do the readout. I think my favorite thing is the fact that I had a uh, a friend contact me. They're like, "Oh my god, I love this article," and I was like, "Yeah, you should share it." No, I want to use that trick. Yeah, exactly. Magicians, <laughs> so suck. And it's so funny because I read a lot about like how to grow a newsletter and they're like, make sure you write shareable content. I actually had a, a conversation with, when I used to write for Substack, I met with the team a lot because One Ahead was quite, did quite well on Substack, it, you know, and it, that's not really because, it's just because not, a lot of people don't do well on Substack. <laughs> um, but but they they couldn't <laughs> believe it. Good. It's just they sucked. They, they could not believe that like the average number of shares i'm not kidding the average number of shares on one head post is zero they literally were like uh, uh, newsletters with 100 subscribers get more shares than that but like the average number of shares for one head post is zero not one not two zero so um so yeah there you go that's my rant over god damn it i'll see you in a cupboard next month uh nathan <laughs> oh do the readout <laughs> Yes, um, this episode of One Ahead, uh, ah, fuck, um, this episode of One Ahead's podcast has been really, no. that's the, re- that's the readout, no, that's the readout, that's, uh, this episode of the One Ahead podcast has been written, produced, and hosted by Rory Adams and Nathan Wilson, hey, that's me, to keep a, to keep up with all the latest magic news and insights, go to oneahead.com. And share it. <laughs> <laughs>